want to go to there. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, full hearts, give Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, happy birthday! A couple days late. Uh, I'm old. I'm old. You're younger than me. I'm old. <laughs> so how's it going? Why? Why do I always have to answer this question? How are? Let's just change it up this year. How are you doing? <laughs> I am really, really tired, but. Powering through because this is fun, good times. Uh, Yay! Yes. Yay! Enthusiasm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's good to see, you know it's a beautiful, shining morning, uh, and uh, we're gonna we have a lot of TV to talk about. So I guess we should dive right in. First of all, at the end of the show, we are going to be talking with Ryan McGee from Everywhere <laughs> about Orange Is the New Black, and uh, so that'll be in our season spotlight. And of course, next week we will be doing a, I, we're thinking just a completely separate, ridiculously long DVD shelf slash season spotlight slash talk about the finale for Breaking Bad um, with Ricky, uh, who of course has joined us for our season four and season 5.1 uh, wrap ups. So that that's going to be coming next week. Lots and lots of Breaking Bad talk next week, but this week we're keeping it out of the spotlight. Yes, uh, I don't think that's going to be too controversial, but we'll we'll get there. We got a couple emails. Start with those. Carl says he has the most hope for Sleepy Hollow, Almost Human, and Brooklyn Nine Nine, but he's also looking forward to The Walking Dead, Sons of Anarchy, Bob's Burgers, and Haven coming back. I've never seen Haven. Have you seen any Haven, Simon? I have not. Okay, so maybe I, this is not the first time I've heard somebody recommend Haven, so maybe I should jump in there. Let us know what you think, listeners. Obviously, Carl, I know where you stand on this one, and he wants to know. That he says he's wondering what will happen in the final two episodes of Breaking Bad. It seems like Marie is the most sympathetic in terms of getting revenge. Maybe we'll see a little revenge there. I wonder if we'll see the manhunt next week as the story of Walter White breaks in the media, and we did see some of that, so good call. Thus the Heisenberg on the wall and people hanging out at the house. I would not put it past the Breaking Bad writers to have a whole hour flashback to Walter White when he was at Grey Matter Technologies. Ding, ding, ding. A little bit there. Or how Los Pollos Hermanos came up with their chicken recipe. Whatever wonderment we have ahead, I bet we can expect one hell of a montage. Still no montages! I know. You know, though, I feel bad that we didn't think to have in our tallies a uh, number of times Jesse says bitch. Yeah, we really should have. That was a mistake. Yeah, oh, well. we got one this week. We did get, yeah, yeah, definitely. It was like the saddest bitch ever, but it was still a bitch. <laughs> We heard from Mario as well, who uh, he powered through the Emmys and then Breaking Bad and then Dexter all on Sunday. So, wow, sir. Uh, he agrees with you about Breaking Bad last week that uh, about Walt telling Jesse about Jane, but he loved the opening dissolves. So he was with me on that one. He's starting Tortured Miracle Day because he he really liked uh, Children of Earth and have fun. Some people really <laughs> liked it. Uh, you know, have fun. <laughs> um, he's a big fan of Damages. Season 5, Bloom Away. He loves Glenn Close and, and uh, Rose Byrne holds her own, and he loves her big anime eyes, which is hilarious. 
Um, did we stop watching Top Chef Masters? It feels like maybe the judges were skewing a bit to keep Voltaggio in earlier in the season, seeing as he just won his first uh, his first actual challenge. And he's hoping that the bridge doesn't get picked up because he's ready for it to be over. And he'll be checking out Hostages, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. About Top Chef Masters, I'm still watching it, sir. Ah, no, I after that premiere, I was like, screw it. Not yeah, getting down with this format. Yeah, I did stick. I did uh, keep watching it. I'm, you know, I've been watching the finale this week, and then of course, uh, Top Chef New Orleans kicks off after that. Uh, but I don't really have much to say about it week in week out because nothing's really changed. I don't feel like there's the dynamic change in you know the kitchen, and mostly the food all looks amazing. So I don't have anything interesting to say. So that's why we haven't been talking about it. But I have still been following it, and I've been enjoying Voltaggio on there as well as the other chefs. And now I have another list gigantic list of restaurants to not be able to afford to go to when I travel. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll check one of them out eventually. Yeah, well, I'm definitely more excited for Top Chef New Orleans. As long as they don't do anything like they're doing with, with this at all, please. <laughs> Seriously. We'll have to see. Uh, we heard from Alana, who was sharing some Ella love with me. If you don't know who Ella is, go Google Ella Fitzgerald or YouTube Ella Fitzgerald and just bask in the awesome. Uh, Ken got his DVR down to 60% free. Well done, sir. Achievement unlocked. Uh, and and he wanted to know if Kate, Simone, and Ricard were uh, out at the club last night. And he voted because he voted for one at a time as the best song of the week. So we're talking a little Keen Peel. That was fun. And uh, I think, but I, I'm thinking maybe Riquet instead of Ricard. What do you think for uh, Ricky? I, I've it either is fine. Uh, and no, <laughs> I no no clubbing. Yeah, we uh, that's not how how we roll. I, Ricky I, might. Ricky, Ricky might. might. Yeah, he could. Yeah. Kate and I not so much. Um, and that, that he's Kneth, by the way, is what I decided. Uh, uh, so yeah, uh, Bob is checking out Masters of Sex, Brooklyn Nine Nine, Trophy Wife, Mom, and the Michael J. Fox Show. Keith, uh, he, he unfortunately now understands what we mean when a show uh, takes you out of the action with something that they do because he experienced that with the Covert Affairs finale. And uh, and I'm sorry that you now know what we're talking about, but now you know what we're talking about. So yay. <laughs> He says that uh, Sleeping Hollow looks crazy enough to to keep watching it. And I also talked a little Sleepy Hollow with Julius, who's not a fan. Feels like it's a, too much of a supernatural ripoff. Swedge and I also talk Sleepy Hollow. Uh, he, he wishes it was a 10 to 13 episodes uh, per season kind of deal, sort of like Hannibal. He feels like maybe that would help them sustain what they're doing. But, you know, he's still, still checking it out. We also talked a little Friday Night Lights. Any thought on that? Would, does Sleepy Hollow feel like it might be more conducive to a shorter season? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, other shows have done the intensity thing over a long time, like Vampire Diaries used to do that. Mm -hmm. So, but then again, can they, I guess the trick is can you do that over multiple seasons, which seems to be more difficult. My favorite thing that I heard about Sleepy Hollow on Twitter this week, and I forget who it was, sorry, was uh, someone who said Sleepy Hollow is just like Supernatural, except that it's not creepy if you want the two leads to have sex. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, a little less slash fiction going on, probably, with Sleepy Hollow. Just straight up fanfic there. Talked a little enlightened with Steph. I marathoned through season one. I've just started season two. I haven't had time to get back to it, but I think over the course of this next week, depending on how much Breaking Bad I watch, which might be a lot, um, I, I, I might try to finish up Enlightened season two. Are you going to try to jump back in before we get to the end of the year here for our lists? 
Uh, maybe. I've got other stuff I want to watch. I really want to get into Banshee, or at least try to, because I, okay. I mean, I've, I've been enjoying Strike Back, and it seems to be kind of the same wheelhouse of Cinemax, just ridiculousness. Um, and I feel like I'm sure there's something else I have to watch and I'm forgetting about. I want to watch uh, Les Revenants. Did I oh, yeah. hurt your ears yes, there? Les Revenants, French? yes. Uh, <laughs> Les, Les Revenants, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that as well. Have you watched any of that yet? Not yet, not yet. But I, I'm looking forward to that. I, I have seen the uh, there's a, a mid season show on I want to say ABC that is a, an adaptation of the same book that that French series is an adaptation of, and I mm-hmm. liked the pilot for that one. So maybe I, so given the positive praise, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that French series. Yeah. Want to catch that before the end of the year as well. The lineage is confusing because the French series is also based on is actually based on a film called They Came Back from okay. like 2002 or so, which I assume is based on the novel. So there's, <laughs> it gets confusing. Gets confusing. Um, talked to Breaking Bad with a bunch of you guys, uh, specifically Ken, Carl, Ricky, Keith, and Tyler. Uh, first time hearing from Tyler that I can remember. So th- welcome to the conversation. Great to hear from you. Thank you for listening. And Carl and Tyler, like almost immediately after the episode went up, we got tweets from them going, uh, isn't Jesse talking about his confession? And I felt like an idiot because, of course, as we saw this week, of course, that's what he was talking about. So thank you guys for, for mentioning that so I could feel like l- immediately more of an idiot, but then afterwards less of an idiot all week long. Uh, lots of good talk. No new iTunes ratings or reviews this week, but maybe next week. Come on! That- that would be cool. For it could be a belated birthday present for Simon. There you, go. you know, leave, leave leave us a review in our uh, either M4A or MP3 iTunes feed. Uh, at Sound Insight, we still have uh, more TV finales going up over the course of the the month. We have at least eight more, so I don't know exactly when they're all being released, but going to be published. But probably at least one a day moving forward for the next week. We uh, I put up my CBS preview for the 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 various pilots on CBS. My NBC comedy preview will be going up later this week, and I'm reviewing Boardwalk Empire week to week, and I will be starting up my Parenthood reviews, because I'll be reviewing that week to week this uh, this season as well. Simon, you? Uh, I'm going to be doing Masters of Sex, which uh, I've already written most of my pilot review for, although it's it's been interesting trying to figure out what constitutes a spoiler, mm-hmm. since... Uh, you know, we're talking about real people whose lives are being pretty closely followed, from what I can tell. So, I don't know. I'm still thinking about it. But uh, short version, you should watch Masters of Sex. It's really good. Yeah, definitely. I also put up my network procedural Mad Lib, so you guys should go check it out. It was fun, at least for me. And Carl did build his own network procedural. So, if you would like to read his pitch for Meter Maids, starring George Clooney as George Clooney and uh, Tatiana Maslany as the love interest, and Felicia Rashad as the boss, you should go over to Sound On Sight and check it out because I thought it was hilarious and wonderful. So I would also love to hear any network procedurals you, the rest of you listeners, would like to build given the handy-dandy Mad Libs that will, for the most part, spell out most of the procedurals we're getting this fall. So go go over to Sound On Sight to check all that stuff out, as well as plenty of film and games and lots of other coverage as well. But let's get into our week in TV, Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> we'll kick things off with the comedies right after this. Oh, they say the world's your oyster. Man, but oysters ain't for me. You're the bell of the ball, but you ain't my cup of tea. They always vote you best in show, but this dog, he disagrees. 
Cause I like life in Pettysburg Okay There's a place for me It's the place I go Where the beer is cheap And the lights are low It's Pettysburg I like Pettysburg Let the record show The greatest place to go week in comedy we have so many shows oh the network fall season i had forgotten um so the ones we are going to talk about however briefly and rapid fire are brooklyn 99 the pilot mom pilot new girl premiere all in the mindy project premiere all my problems solved forever the keen peel premiere always sunny the gang tries desperately to win an award the league the uh, chalupa versus the cutlet children's hospital wine tasting and ntsf sdsuv trading faces so, Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> okay, quickly. Uh, probably better than the Parks and Rec pilot. Definitely uh, better than the Parks and Rec pilot. The Parks and Rec pilot kind of sucks. I don't remember the Parks and Rec pilot that well. Uh, not funny. I mean, okay. sorry. Let me let me rephrase. Not laugh out loud funny, but there's like a couple of smile worthy moments. The uh, I think the thing that's going to need the most retooling going forward is going to be the Andy Samberg character. Who's just, they're going to, I think they're going to do it anyway. It seems like the natural thing to do, but they're really going to have to take the wackiness down mm-hmm. a, a number two on that dial, uh, just so he can better match with Andre Brower's character, who is so great. Uh, and, uh, just, he's, he's great to watch the, uh, uh where else? What a, there are, there's not really that much else to say about this. It's kind of exactly what I was expecting from Michael Schur and people, except maybe slightly less funny. But, you know, these things, as we've noted about comedies many times, so many great comedies have started off sometimes just bad. And this isn't bad, so that's a good start. Yay! Hopefully it'll just continue to get better. And, yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you said. <laughs> Next uh, is Mom. Oh, Anna Ferris. Anna Ferris, Allison Janney, Matt Jones, people I like. French Stewart's a lot of fun in there. Yes. Uh, the, the whole cast is good, um, but I feel like, like so many mediocre comedies, there's like the skeleton of a really good show hiding in there somewhere. And with this cast, and even with, I would say, about half of the teleplay, maybe even a little bit more than that, but... There's just I can't think of a conceivable way this show can work going forward if it's going to keep the laugh track. It just it undermines the bits of it that work and then makes other things that could have worked but don't just like be utterly painful. And I yeah, and the Chuck Lorre attachment doesn't help at all like when John Cryer shows up at the beginning and you're like and the audience freaks out and you're like why is this happening? <laughs> why? Do we really need a crossover in the pilot? Yeah, it reminds me of um, what was that horrible cameo we got in a in a comedy pilot last season, like Shaquille O'Neal. Or oh something? yeah, yeah. No, it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, it was just it was equally bad. Yeah, because he worse. was dunking babies. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, I don't know. There's I, 
I, I don't know. I love Anna Faris. She even makes like I don't know if you've seen the House Bunny. It's not a good movie at all, but she makes it actually funny from time to time because she's so good at slapstick. And she's also good, as we see in this in this pilot, with the dramatic stuff that we should absolutely not have a laugh track for. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I don't know. I just, oh, she's so always trapped in mediocre stuff like this, and it's very frustrating. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, again, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I There are certain things that work for you better than they work for me. We were talking about this earlier in this week. Uh, I had more trouble with her crying all over her her uh tables uh that was too broad for me but uh you know that it wasn't as problematic for you as it was for me but um but yeah I, i'm gonna still kind of tune in sporadically to see if they you know can pull it together what about you uh i'll keep my ear to the ground but seriously i i kind of wish that that like someone involved had the pull to be like okay we'll put a laugh track in the pilot but after that no dice <laughs> But, well, it, but it doesn't seem like they even want to do that. So well, keep in mind, though, as well, that uh, Sportsline did start with a terrible laugh track and they did eventually get rid of it. Uh, I don't know that that will happen here, but it's 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 happened before. It has. But, I, I, yeah, we'll see. It also is going to depend on whether the show is actually popular or not. Who knows? Maybe it'll bomb and, and then they'll try to take out the laugh track and see if it changes anything. Who knows? Anything's possible. But. I'm very, I'm very interested to see if any of the new comedies are successful, actually, because it, with a couple of, of obvious exceptions, it just seems like the reaction to everything has been so tepid. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what finds an audience. You never, can, I would not have predicted two broke girls would become somewhat of a hit for CBS because I thought that was a terrible pilot. <laughs> and yet, so you never can quite predict. Let's move on to New Girl and Mindy Project. Let's talk about these together. The premiere for New Girl is all in for Mindy Project is all my problems solved forever. And thoughts? Uh, New Girl, I feel like I'm totally, I was the only one seemingly who wasn't crazy about last season's finale, and I feel totally validated right now, because it seems like everyone's coming around to my way of thinking. Uh, can we just get Winston's show now? Because his part of the episode is hilarious, and everything that you'd hope for from a Winston plot. Although, I didn't, I feel like they, they've sort of lost, if this evidence is in the episode, they've sort of lost where to end a joke, like... That everything with to do with the puzzles was great, but then they add in this colorblind thing, which was just too much, I thought. Yeah, well, and if he's colorblind, then he would use a different... He would not be calling it the wrong color, because he would have... You don't, you don't become colorblind, I don't think. You're That's just how your vision is from when you were born, unless there's some traumatic, seriously traumatic thing that happens to you. So he wouldn't be calling something brown, thinking it was green. His definition of brown would be different. So I was watching that just immediately going, and that's not how colorblind works, guys. This, yeah. I, I didn't really have a logic problem with it. I just thought it was, it was just a little. They put they 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 already had enough material for Winston in that episode. They didn't yeah. need this other wacky, too broad thing. Everything with Nick and Jess was just cringeworthy and not funny. Yeah, and just made them both seem like horrible people. I would never want to spend any time with. Well, they just don't feel like real people. That at all. also. It would be nice if they did. They they come close to feeling like real real people at the very end, and then they go, blah, and they, like, yell and run away. That You know, running away, yes, but just the, the manic height, you know, the way that they, the, those two characters just keep heightening each other does not work for me. 
um, at all. With Winston stuff, I did really like the puzzle stuff. I, I very much I want to like that character because Lamorne Morris is so good and, and really does a lot with the little that they give him. I do want them to make him good at something, though. That would be nice. Because the last several entertaining Winston plots have all been about how he's weird or wrong in some way. It would be nice if he was actually the right one or good at something. Um, also not, not looking forward to Schmidt and his two love interests because there's not a good way that's going to end. Yeah. Well, unless they just decide to, you know. They can all live together, which isn't going to happen. <laughs> which isn't going to happen. Well, and, and I'm going to bridge over to Mindy Project now because I think that Mindy Project is doing a similar... Because obviously Danny and Mindy are the forever couple, right? In the background there. But they're doing the, the Danny and Mindy friendship, maybe more thing, really well while also having her with her fiancé, Casey. I think the way they're handling that relationship is much more successful on Mindy. Even just the way they're handling Mindy and Casey or Mindy and Danny is so much better than what they're doing with Nick and Jess. You don't usually watch Mindy. How was it coming in to this episode? Uh, it felt to me pretty much like every other episode of the Mindy Project I've ever seen, where I'm still not really engaged by the supporting characters. I find the treatment of will they, won't they pretty much identical to every romantic comedy I've ever seen, except longer uh, like, not badly handled, but just I incredibly typical. Like, on the better end of typical, I suppose. And uh, now with the added wrinkle of, I don't think I ever need to see James Franco's face again in my life. Like, okay. Yeah. There, next, He's on next week, but I don't understand all the... He, the only thing I can think is that he must be incredibly charismatic in person. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know how long they're going to keep him around for. I assume not that long, but still just there. I, I don't know when exactly the crossover occurred. Like I, I enjoyed Pineapple Express and a couple other things here and there. But now just him seeing his face on stuff is just like anti-comedy in my brain. Well, I think he's a I think he's a talented actor, uh, but I'm very tired of the James Franco character. And you know, I feel like that's the last several times I've seen him. He's been playing this uh, caricature of himself or of the public per you know, perception of him. And I don't think he's attractive, at least not this attractive. And I don't like I don't have any sort of draw or like starry. The way it's like the critical consensus at some point was that he's just so attractive. You can't even. And it's just he seems really annoying to me. But let's move on. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I like this Mindy more than you did. Um, I think we're on the same page on, on New Girl. Are we on the same page with Key and Peel? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, we are. Big, goofy, silly grin. Uh, how about that Les Mis sketch, guys? Come on. Everybody. The, the Les Mis sketch was, was fantastic. Uh, it could have used some more agonizing close-ups. Mm, that's true. Uh, you know, because we, we need at least as many pot shots at Tom Hooper and his stupid directorial choices as we do at other ridiculous aspects of the movie and of Les Miserables in general, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that was, that was fantastic. I just, the way, what I love about Key and Peele is that even when it's not funny, which it's really only funny about half the time. Like, like I would say most sketch shows are lucky to be funny half the time and they are, they hit that lucky slash good uh, ratio, but even when it's not funny, I generally appreciate how thorough in execution they are in terms of the way their sketches are directed. 
Uh, they clearly are better funded than just about every other comedy show on Comedy Central, or at least they do do better with their budget. Um, but I think, of course, it also helps that almost half the show is given over to these, you know, on stage segments, which, again, they're rarely hilarious, but they're always endearing, which mm-hmm. I think helps really propel the rest of the show. Every sketch feels like it has a point of view. And yes. and it, they might not all make me laugh out loud, but they're all interesting. And I can see what where they're coming from, what they're, you know, like I can see the work underneath without seeing the strings, if that makes sense. Like I can see what they're trying to talk, you know, look at or examine. Um, and even if I'm not laughing out loud, I appreciate, you know, where they're coming from. So I absolutely agree. And there's another good Key and Peele coming next week. Uh, speaking of song, entertaining songs, we also had Always Sunny, The Gang Tries Desperately to Win an Award, and Charlie's delightful two songs. Thank you for sharing that link with me of the behind-the-scenes other other take. I would not have guessed that that was an improv song. I should have, the second <laughs> one. Uh, but that was delightful. Sure. Uh, you know, it's funny because they've done so much music in the past and it's never occurred to me before that anyone <laughs> on the show might actually be musically talented. <laughs> of I course. don't know why, but uh, but yeah, just watching Charlie Day riff on that. He's some kind of a genius and he uh, he uh, he's got chops, man, and he's using them in the best possible way in, in this. Uh, I it was I didn't think the uh, I mean, I, I wonder how people who don't review tv every week will respond to this episode because it was so i don't i can't think of another episode of tv that was so clearly aimed at tv critics and people who know way too much about television because i think just the app i mean maybe i'm not giving the giving the average person enough credit but i don't know how obvious it was to just joe schmo what they were doing this week in terms of you know going to sitcom land and then sort of having a go at Mad Men. it, it was obvious to my dad and my sister. <laughs> so okay, well, that's, I think that's, that's it, a good start. It seemed like it was very on the nose. I, don't, I feel like you'd have to, you know, obviously we're going to get more out of it because we've watched more. And so we have more to draw on, for, you know, with, with them. And there were even jokes that I missed and jokes that you missed. We yeah. were sharing notes and I had not, like, it took me till the second time watching to get the, that the bell, the drink bell was, of course, the laugh track and some of these other references. Uh, but... I do think that maybe it might not have been as appreciated by people who don't watch as much TV, but it seemed like it was pretty straightforward. But let us know. You know, mm-hmm. I, anybody who's listening to this, I feel like probably is in that pool of people who caught all the references or most of them. But uh, Or would, yes. Or would, yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of sad how It's Always Sunny is in season nine and mm-hmm. just still is so much fresher and funny than every new sitcom we're talking about. <laughs> Oh, 100%. Well, and what really worked for me, because other, other sitcoms have done things like this, you know, episodes kind of like this. What really made this one work, besides the fact that it was funny and I laughed my butt off, uh, but also was that it didn't seem, uh, it wasn't bitter. It didn't seem bitter, why, why aren't you guys giving us awards we deserve them? It was, let's actually look at this. And uh, the conclusion they come to is, yeah, we get why people... Don't give us awards. We understand. We we still like an award, but, but we we get we get it, guys. It's cool. Uh, I I appreciated that. You know that self awareness. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, yeah. The 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 conclusion is is apt. And man, I I know it's like four or five weeks away, but 
I'm still really, really excited for the for the Benioff and Weiss episode. Yeah. In case in case you didn't know, the Game of Thrones showrunners wrote an episode of It's Always Sunny. Spoiler alert. And it's yeah. gonna be on in a few weeks and it's called Flowers for Charlie. And <laughs> can I just watch it now? <laughs> please. Just into my stream it into my brain, please. Um The League, Chalupa versus Cudlet was was fun. Um, it was, the league is not as good this year, I th- I f- or like it, it's very s- satisfactory, very reliable. I've laughed each week, which obviously as we've been talking about, is not the case with most of the new shows, new, new comedy pilots at least. Um, but I don't feel like there's much to say. It was more of the same. And, um, I- I'm liking the decreased role of Raffi, gotta say, that's going to be undone soon here. Next week I think is called Raffi and Dirty Randy. Um, yes. But you know, it, it's it's still I'm still enjoying it. it. It pairs really well with Always Sunny, but nothing new to really say. So let's move on to Children's Hospital wine tasting at NTSF SDSUV Trading Faces, which both did face swap episodes. And congrats, NTSF, you won. We t- we said la- last week, bring up your game, and they did. They did, yes. I mean, I love the fact that, and I wish they did this more often. Have these sort of very obvious pairings, but I like that it was a joke in and of itself that two shows doing face swap episodes wasn't a big deal because it's such a hackneyed premise that of mm-hmm. course both shows would try it on. Uh, but yeah, not, not nothing against the children's, uh, the children's episode, which was funny as always, but yeah, I thought NTSF had a little bit more fun with the idea. Uh, although I did, uh, the favorite, my favorite gag in, in children's was definitely just the grotesqueness of the actual face work, especially when, mm-hmm. oh, when, when the, face mask gets ripped off at the end and he's just in searing pain <laughs> uh so yeah lots lots of good stuff in both uh but actually it, it was nice to see Jundai and Raphael get a chance to shine and pretty much steal the entire episode because <laughs> her her costumes and her just sheer failure at getting anyone interested in Settlers of Catan which I'm sure you appreciated <laughs> Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say, I think what, what made the, part of what made the S- NTSF episode work better was that Martin Starr almost never gets anything to do, so to watch him actually get to play a different character was great, and that was one of the highlights for me. But yeah, 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 definitely comes to, down to Piper. I have said most of those things she said, <laughs> and, and I've had that experience of, come on, we'll play a game. Oh, it's not going to be a hard one, right? We played Settlers last time it's like the easiest game you could possibly okay how about apples to apples i literally said that literally said that all the Traeger. and um and so yeah there was that extra element to for, for me that i i don't know how many people can relate to but if you play games and people have said settlers is hard you you if you've ever played any kind of games <laughs> you understand that settlers is like the easiest possible game ever you just anyways moving on uh so yes i totally agree and uh yeah it, it was it was extra fun because there was a little bit of an emotion you felt like she was on somewhat of an emotional limb there and it was nice to have a little you know a little truth <laughs> amongst the humor a little emotional rawness there however you know slight in you know, appropriate for ntsf but yeah yeah i would agree and it seems like next week is next week is a two-parter which means half an hour uh, so I'm, and the, the whole concept of it seems pretty funny and should give Karen Gillum lots to do. So I'm excited for that. Absolutely. And that wraps up our, our week in comedy. So what wins the week in uh, comedy, sir? Definitely always sunny of the new ones, Brooklyn nine, nine. And it's not even like, it's sadly not even close. Yep. I got to give it to always sunny in reflect last week when I was thinking about, about it, I wasn't sure if it was going to be keen pure or, or always sunny, but I rewatched both episodes cause I enjoyed them so much and I definitely 
definitely have to give it to Always Sunny. So we're going to take a break now, listen to some music, and come back with our weekend drama. One at a time. I put men like you behind bars every day. One at a time. You may take my years, but cannot lock my soul away. Oh, the years I had to I've run. chased you through the so years. So long ago it all now began. Now your journey's out of end. In the shadows on you my shame. You what you've done. But was I ever to Death play? will be your only friend. Do I let this fight and now? Do not interrupt just me. Just in this life of let pain. Let me finish what I need will to say. Will you end me welcome now? Fine, I'll let you finish will first. Will my journey be in vain? Don't let me get in your I way. I only stole a loaf of bread. Are you finished all now? All I needed to survive. Okay, now it's if my I turn. up in your this week in drama we are going to preview the revolution season two first couple episodes uh the svu premiere the chicago fire premiere the parenthood premiere the homeland premiere and, Sweet Lord. And then we're going to talk Strike Back, Shadow Warfare, Sleepy Hollow, Blood Moon, The Bridge, Take the Road, Play the Toll, Broad Church Episode 7, Boardwalk Empire, Acres of Diamonds, and Breaking Bad, Granite State. And before we do all that, I'm just going to say, because we're not doing a week in reality, I watched The Voice premiere and... I'm not, I don't really care. So I think I'm going to just kind of be in and out this season. I'll let you, I'll keep you posted as to any interesting performances you guys should check out. But for now, I don't think I care enough to make the investment. So that shows you where I'm at with, with reality and with the voice, but I am looking forward to the amazing race coming back next, next week. Email me the television, gmail.com to get in on the pool because you could win. Know me. Come on. You could win. Know me. You could win. Know me for at least, you know, however long it takes for them to start a new season. Uh, but anyways, let's talk a little drama preview. You've, you have not seen most of these, so again, I will keep it brief. I've seen either the first two or the first three of Revolution Season 2, and that should tell you something that I can't remember off the top of my head whether it's two or three. It's very serialized this season, and uh, I think people will enjoy that if you're invested. Most of the people I know who watch Revolution Season 1 just kind of powered through, oh, on a unintentional pun, to the end of the season and uh, are not interested in, in jumping back in. The performances are remain, the strong ones remain strong, the weak ones remain weak. They they surprised me with how they ended the premiere um, and then I was not surprised with what happened with that next. In the, in the next episode, there's some interesting things happening, um, but for the most part, it, it, yeah, you're watching for Giancarlo Esposito, you're watching for Billy Burke, you might be watching for Elizabeth Mitchell or Zach Orth, uh, but for the most part, if, if you're watching for Giancarlo Esposito, spoiler alert, he's still awesome. If you're watching for Billy Burke, there is, I think, one sword fight in these first several, but not nearly enough to get me to keep watching. So that's the, the that's, you know, Revolution Season 2. It is a step up from the worst of season one, though, so maybe they're headed in the right direction. SVU had a very powerful opening. Those who watched the end of last season will know that Olivia was kidnapped by Pablo Schreiber. Very bad Pablo Schreiber. Uh, shame, shame, not good. Terror, being a horrible, horrible rapist. And uh, he's really good being incredibly terrifying and, and all of that. He's had a hell of a year. I just wish he was on 
more shows the or, of the Orange is the New Black caliber and fewer of the Ironsides caliber. Um, but he does give a really good performance. Some of the writing is a bit much. Um, but again, Rishka Hargitay is, of course, she's wonderful, even if maybe what they're giving her to say isn't always the least melodramatic, I guess. Uh, in general, the episode did work for me. And um, I think fans of SVU are going to really... Uh, enjoy is a weird word to say when what your favorite character for like almost 10 seasons is in mortal peril but uh enjoy i guess i'll go with the episode chicago fire watch the premiere still not invested it seems very uh relatable and the strengths of the the first season remain the strengths of the second season if you liked it then you'll probably like it here there's some good action sequences with some fires um, and of course, it, I, st I still like the Chicago setting, of course, being a Chicago girl, but um, not enough to get me to, to tune back in. Parenthood premiere is delightful. You will see my you can see my review up at Sound on Sight right after the episode airs this Thursday. Uh, very glad to have the cast members that are there, which is as much as I can say without spoiling anything. And uh, there's some really good Mac stuff this week. So in, in the premiere, as well as some really interesting new avenues for some of the characters. But let's talk Homeland, because we've both seen the Homeland premiere. We have! Ah, uh, yeah. Homeland. You remember when this was, like, a great show? Like, that, let's say, first three, no, first nine-tenths of season one and first half of season two, how great that show was, how you felt when you watched Q&A, like, holy crap, this couldn't, like, this show couldn't possibly get any better, and you were right. Uh, how far it's fallen. I, After watching this premiere, I can't imagine how anyone would be interested in what happens next. I don't care. I'm not going to spoil anything, but there is not a single plot line I find even remotely interesting. There's so much clunky dialogue. Every scene with Claire Danes and uh, I think I can say her testimony without that being a spoiler is just why would anyone continue to deal with her character and take her seriously on any level after that? I have no idea. Uh, I'm out this season. There's no way in hell I'm sticking around for this shit show. I thought it was fine. Seriously. I don't yeah, understand. You, yeah. You care about what's, what's happening with, with, uh, with her agent buddy. I and... Carrie for a long time. Uh, but I care about Saul. That really, like he's, he's he's just yeah. so miserable. I care. No, I no, I care. I care about Saul. I care about the Saul and Carrie relationship. I don't care about the kids, but I'm glad to have Marina Becker still on my television. So, so yeah, I mean, where they pick up and the approach they take is what makes sense to me. Where else are you going to go? With this show. Of course, that's where they pick up. And of course, that's what they're dealing with. I'm glad to see F. Murray Abraham and what I hope will be a recurring role. And uh, I'm very glad to not see certain other people. Yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. But uh, apparently yeah. like half the season. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's only so much we can say because it hasn't actually aired yet. We'll, we'll dive but, into it next week. Don't worry. But yeah, I just I was not. In, I mean, but you have to admit that compared to the show's glory days, we're, that already seems very far away. Maybe. It's just not the best, of course, but it's nowhere near the worst. 
that this that this show has given us. And so, you know, I the the weaknesses from last season I think could be very quickly remedied by this approach that they are taking this season. I guess is but, what I'll say. But you know that they're not gonna like. For I instance, don't know that they're not gonna. Uh, I think that they find. I mean, again, not to get into specifics, but they're. I think they they find. I th- I feel like the people who run Homeland think that the Carrie Brody relationship is the heart of the show, and I don't think they're gonna steer away from that for all that much longer is all i have to say we'll talk about it more next week and we'll see we'll see moving forward let's go let's go to strike back shadow warfare uh this was impressively nuts this was Mm -hmm. definitely the first episode i've seen that really lived up to strike back's reputation for being just just insane with explosions uh you know usually we we get gun battles but this week we got a mortar battle which was like (laughs) Well, I guess more of a mortar attack, really, but still pretty impressive in terms of scale and execution. That did not look cheap. No, they they did a really good job. This it was just fun. It was so fun, and there was uh, there were really heartfelt emotional beats within that felt appropriately muted given what was going on. That and I really appreciated that. That while they were going for heightened with the action element, they didn't go for a really overwrought emotion as well. Uh, that was nice, and the performances were really good. I'm just having so much fun with Strike Back this year. Yeah, I mean, I I think they're they have a very clear thesis for this season, which is you know the the plight of the soldier and you know what mm-hmm. they really fight for, et cetera. And they're underlining it with like a great big sharpie, like point forty two font. <laughs> and I feel like it gets it gets a little clumsy at times, like uh, McKenna's final scene was way too similar, I thought, to Doug Ray Scott's final scene and, you know, sort of the way they got their last digs in before, you know, whatever happens. Uh, so I'm hoping they find a way to shake that up. I I had to laugh, though, at the reveal of, where are we going now? Russia! Why <laughs> they not They don't Russia? like us there. <laughs> they don't like us there. And just... I, 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 <laughs> Let's do just, it anyway! <laughs> yeah, just, we haven't been to Russia yet. I, I'm just wondering where they're gonna, where the season's gonna end. Mm-hmm. Antarctica, maybe. Yeah. Well, it, are it, there tourists in Antarctica? It does feel sort of like the Amazing Race. You know, like where where off to next, boys? And uh, I yeah, I enjoy that element of it too. And again, like you said, it looks gorgeous. However, they're getting the budget for this or making it look like they have a budget. Well done. People Strike must be watching it in Europe because nobody's watching it here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's move on, though, to Sleepy Hollow and Blood Moon. And, of course, do you I'd like your thoughts on the premiere as well. I thought the second episode very, of course, it's like Pilot 2.0 with its exposition, in case you didn't see last week, which is a little frustrating. I don't like the way that they walked back from certain elements of the pilot, meaning, like, the the boss being in on things and everything. But uh, I, I still thought it was cuckoo bananas enough to, to maintain my interest and to just overall be fun. What did you think about the pilot and then also Blood Moon? Uh, it's, the funny thing about the pilot is uh, Len Wiseman is a co-creator on this, and his... Uh, movie resume is just atrocious and uh, so actually the pilot is probably the best thing he's ever directed uh, which is not to say that it's good because that feels like it's taking it a bit too far I, I won't call Sleepy Hollow a good show yet but I think it does a lot better than it has to in terms of 
some of the dialogue and some of the performances. And I, I like Tom Meissen. I think he's a bit of a find for them. I feel like they they lucked out finding someone who's, you know, handsome and whose hair catches fake wind really nicely <laughs> and can deliver, you know, ridiculous punchlines without wanting to, you know, without earning a punch in the face. Like, uh, what was that? It's that he's, he has a particular line in the second episode about her remains remained a mystery. Like, really, dude? <laughs> really? But I somehow didn't want to punch you, so that's impressive. Uh, the fish out of water stuff is handled real. In a, I mean, it's such a cliche. Like, it's a cliche beyond cliches, but they, they managed to handle it in a way that doesn't, again, make you want to self-harm all the time. Um... And yeah, the, the the pacing is good. In fact, uh, it's like we said earlier. It's I don't know how they're going to be able to keep it up. Like a new threat to the universe every every week seems like a little bit much. Uh, also, the pacing of the second episode is really weird because there's so much buildup, and then the apparent demise of the witch involved is just so anticlimactic. I thought, uh, but it seems like there's going to be a whole lot of witches this season. On TV, just saying. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Witches of the new vampire, maybe? They're they're in the air. I wonder what that means. I mean, I know what zombies mean. I know what vampires mean. I'm not sure that I know what witches mean. Interesting. I also really enjoy Nicole Bahari. I think uh, she's she's doing really well with what she's given. I'm looking forward to uh, the the sister. Her introduction feels very, very reminiscent of... Uh, uh, Terminator 2 very intentionally and uh, there's no way they would let somebody who they think is unstable have a metal bar like that in her her room so that was a bit much but um, but in general I'm looking forward to that dynamic I think that'll be interesting I like what they do with John Cho's character I wasn't expecting that I should have been but I wasn't and that was fun I like what they do with the mentor figure having him occasionally pop up seems like a much more effective way of getting through some exposition maybe than other ways that they could do and uh, yeah I think there's some things that they do that they some smart moves they make in the sec- second episode that that leave me a little more hopeful than maybe I could have been. This is, does not feel like an under the dome situation. No, because at least this has the bravery to be dumb and silly. Whereas under the mm-hmm. dome thinks it's being more than that. Uh, and it's really just less. <laughs> uh, and uh, under the dome is one of those shows that I only keep up with through recaps because I just don't want, want my brain to hurt when I watch it. And I, do you ever get that schadenfreude feeling of I quit and I'm so glad that I quit because I'm reading this now? Every uh, time I hear people talk about how I met your mother. Or Dexter. Yep. Uh, um, anyway, so glad. So glad. Anyway, uh, but yeah, you're right. It's not an under the dome situation so far. Uh, I don't know if I'll actually keep watching it. Monday's mm-hmm. not, not a great night. But uh, yeah, definitely could be worse. Uh, how about uh, the bridge? Take the road, pay the toll. I feel like... The, the, res- the I did not expect them to kill Gus. I was very surprised. I there were some really nice directorial moves in this episode as well. I think a lot of whether the bridge works moving forward is going to come down to the episode this week. Yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, there's two episodes left in the season, which is interesting because the things that we've been told we should care about are all resolved. Uh, except for, of course, I mean, we got we we do get that cold open with Bobby Cobb. <laughs> who I'm just going to keep calling that. And uh, I have no idea where that's going. I'm not sure I particularly care, but 
I guess that's still going. It's interesting we've had two straight weeks with no Thomas Wright either, so I don't know exactly where they're doing that. I'm sure you don't miss that. No, um, at all. And unfortunately, I'm pretty sure the character's coming back. Oh, obviously. He's he's in, he's he's in a regular. He'll be back. I, I feel like everyone we haven't been seeing lately will be back next week, if only because there's nothing else to do. But uh, I, I felt like this was uh, a Saul, like... In terms of a way to wrap up the whole David Tate thing, I thought it was solid. Uh, like, th- the execution was better than the actual material, I thought. I think John Dahl did a great job directing it. Uh, obviously, he's a bit of a, a bit of a pro. Look up his resume sometime. Um, especially that shot of uh, Kruger just diving into the... Amazing. That I was like such jumped. a great shot. It was a fantastic oh. shot. Oh, that was, yeah, serious. That was like Breaking Bad level chills up the spine shot. That was a great image. Um and her performance in the scene where she can't lie mm-hmm. <laughs> when she should uh, is is also great. And uh, I like what what's I, I, again. I, I wish I knew where I where I read this. And kudos to whoever said it. But um, her solution to the standoff I thought was quite ingenious and should have been used in so many other films. Mm-hmm. Cough seven, um, <laughs> uh, among other places. Uh, so yeah. Props to them for thinking of that. I wasn't crazy about the scene that followed between her and Bashir. Uh, I'm sort of ready for them to get past that stage of him being angry with her for no good reason. Uh, I d- wasn't sure how I felt about the use of the Nick Cave song at the end of the episode. Little, little tiny bit much. Not a lot much, but a little much. <sighs> yeah, you're right. A lot rides on this week because, the you know... It, I'm I'm just I'm really struggling to think of how they're going to fill two whole episodes of material with mm-hmm. stuff that we actually care about unless they introduce a new case which is, it seems like it's way too early to do. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, you know, I we we know some of the answer to that from the trailer for next week, but I know some people consider that a spoiler so I won't will not mention it. What I will say is that I think it was ballsy as hell to kill Gus. And for that reason, it seems like it's the right move. It's just unfortunate that I cared way more about Gus than most of the rest of the characters. So uh, I care way more about Gus dying than I do about uh, the wife, Alma. Uh, and I care way more about that relationship. So I I just wish that they had built up the other relationships the way that they did Gus. And see, it, it, it seems like they only built up that relationship or they only spent the time and care to build up that relationship because they were going to kill him. And, you know, if they had built up any of the stuff going on with Bobby Cobb uh, and I don't... Sh- Charlotte? I want to say Charlotte. Annabeth Gish, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then maybe that storyline would work better. Um, but yeah, that's a little... Or, or even just, you know, I, obviously we really... We love Ted Levine. We've talked about that time and again on this podcast in different different performances. But uh, I don't even really care about his relationship with Sonya that much at this point. So they they, they need to do a little bit more work with some of these, you know, side or supporting characters to, to get me reinvested. Yeah, I think that's fair. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, I, I did think in terms of direction, execution, things like that, it was a really good episode. Just, you know, wish, wish I had more certainty about the show's future. That's all. For Broadchurch, we did not talk about it last week. So if you have any thoughts on episode six and then also episode seven this week, um, I, I felt like when I watched this, uh, I've, I had two notes. First of all, three families in this small of a town that have dead kids, uh, you know, that are surprise dead kids. 
it's a bit much. It's a bridge too far there for me. Um, but um, the I felt like they were telegraphing the hell out of it, uh, out of the answer for who who done it when I was watching this, and I have the name of a character clearly in my notes. <laughs> uh, and uh, I literally have name of the character, comma, clearly. And that is the correct person who did it. And I will not say whether that matches who you think did it or not. Uh, but that's about all I can say for right now until next week. Okay, well, now that you said it that way, I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about, and I'm pretty sure it's not who I've been saying it is. Uh, but <laughs> I love how we have to talk about this. But because <laughs> um, you've seen the whole thing and I haven't, I, I, literally, I specifically didn't want to watch the final episode until after we recorded this. But the only reason I said The Vicar was because I've seen too many Italian horror films, and I know that priests are all evil, um, mm. ultimately. So uh, I, I, I just never trust handsome priests in movies. Also, it just never seems to. I've never met a handsome priest. Anyway, uh, so in terms of the reveals in these episodes, that yeah, there's way too many dark secrets that mm. threaten to undermine everything. It's like every single character has one of them, except for Olivia Coleman's character, mm. uh, which you know. Anyway, uh, the. The only reveal I thought really worked was actually what happens with Tennant's character and his uh, his interview with the press when he tells them what happened with everything. And it finally made his performance choices make sense, the ones that I wasn't sure about. Still, he could still shave. I mean, really, mm -hmm. how much yeah. effort is it? It's not going to give you a heart attack mm -hmm. to shave. Uh, but the um, but I did think I think his performance has just been fantastic throughout. And he's the main reason to keep watching. So that's good. I'm not sure how much. I actually care about the resolution, which I think speaks to my investment level and just my fatigue with their whole, is it, you know, just the whole moving from suspect to suspect, increasing dark secrets. It's just, I, I at some point you just want a character to crack a joke about the whole thing because it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. And, and I think that relationship, again, like you said, Ten, it's been fantastic. Olivia Coleman, I think has also been fantastic. And, uh, and in individual moments here and there from other actors and characters as well. But, um, yeah, this, again, who's the dead kid in this? Because I remember Tui was the, the victim in Top of the Lake, and I watched that at the beginning of the year, and I don't remember who the victim is in this. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I can't think of his name right now. So there you go. That's That says a lot. Yeah, definitely. Any other thoughts or shall we move on? Uh, let's move on. Okay, Boardwalk Empire, Acres of Diamonds, and uh, I'm glad Patricia Arquette is on board. I, I really liked her scenes this week. I, I did too, but it feels unfair that Boardwalk Empire gets to have all the actors ever, doesn't it? <laughs> it just feels a little bit ridiculous. Like, it's I find it strange that between Sons of Anarchy and Boardwalk Empire, you have literally every actor in America. <laughs> literally every actor in America. Chris Traeger. And... Yeah, you know, I like Boardwalk Empire. I'm not crazy about Sons of Anarchy, but I feel like nearly everyone involved would be better served somewhere else. Interesting. Yeah, I thought the the whole Florida Tampa trip did not work for me. I wasn't interested or involved at all until Patricia Arquette came on screen. I was like, oh, this scene is actually interesting. But, the, but especially when you compare the Nucky scenes this week with the Nucky scene last week with Jeffrey Wright 
and and then even just the uh, the Jeffrey Wright scenes this week were interesting, but I feel like it's so he's gonna you know worm his way and take over the club. Obviously, right? Yes, it just seems so clear. Uh, or try to take over Chucky's whole operation, but yeah, yeah no, it's it's there's nothing interesting about that. And no. uh, regardless yeah, of how great that performance is from Jeffrey Wright, yeah, no, it's 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 a little bit too transparent. I mean, yeah. Th- when when Michael K. Williams and Jeffrey White get scenes together, it's like hell yeah, uh, I could go for a whole series of that, fantastic. But other parts of it, even like I love Jack Houston and that character is interesting, but I thought his scenes this this week were just molasses. Yeah, I liked that. You know that that they closed the book on that. I've really liked the, actually the performance of Kate. The actress who plays his sister, whose name's not coming to me right now, she's been really uh, Waterston, Kate Water, uh, Kate Waterston. She's been really great uh, as Emma, and uh, I- I've enjoyed that rapport between the two of them. But it was time to either put up or shut up with that. So I'm glad that they like the way that they saved the reveal of taking off the mask for this season, at least until that moment, worked really well. And uh, and just that whole handling of that scene, I, I enjoyed at least. But I, the the show needs to get these char- these more disparate characters tied in in a way that's more engaging. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping they do do that with Michael Shannon later, although he doesn't show up this week. I don't, he almost never shows up two episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and yeah, I really, 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 really don't care about Eli's kid. No, I even <laughs> forgot to write, uh, include him in my uh, write up this week. And he gets like 10 minutes of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> uh, unfortunately. And that's, I, I have no doubt that this will all build to very interesting things. I just, I find television more satisfying when the individual episodes are also more meaningful and you don't have to put in six or seven hours to get to the more meaningful stuff down the, down the line. And I think Breaking Bad is a great job with that, of making sure that there, while it may be a slow burn, there's still interesting things happening. I, and, and Mad Men can be really good at that as well. But um, it's it's a complaint some have levied against Game of Thrones, for example, and I'm finding that problem here in Borbuck Empire. Yeah, I I I agree. <laughs> I completely agree. Let's move on to Breaking Bad, Granite State. Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Speaking of uh, the use of the opening credit music and the very end of the episode, have they done that before? Um, I feel like I've heard. I'm sure I've seen an episode before where they did a remixed version of the theme music, like with more percussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure I've seen that before on the show, but I can't remember where. Certainly not in this way. Uh, and by the way, I didn't like that at all. <laughs> I uh, there's okay. Let's let's get the bad out of the way because I feel like there's not going to be that much of it. But there's a few things I wanted to mention. Uh, really did not like the use of music at the end of the episode or really the staging of that whole last sequence. It was wait, it was far too familiar. I did not like the image of Walt leaving his drink behind at the bar and running off to save the day or whatever. Uh, it just, it was too, it was too familiar. It was too broad. It was too, I, it was, it felt too much like they needed a triumphant moment after such an insanely depressing episode of television. Uh, I was hoping they would go for something a little bit more nuanced and interesting there. Okay. Well, I thought that was useful, though, because with, without that that drink being there to let you know the time frame, how close in time frame it is from him 
seeing that clip with uh, Gretchen and Elliot to leaving and to to the police coming there. I don't know if you necessarily know that he's turning himself in, which is what that scene was before he saw that clip. Right. So I think having that, just that visual reference of, no, it's literally been moments, you know, you know like the the cops just pulled up, mm-hmm. um, you know, right as, right after he left. I thought that right, was but, useful. But there were ways to do that that weren't, uh, here's the theme song. Oh, you know, yeah, like, okay. with yeah. all, with all that pomp and circumstance, I really didn't need that. Especially uh, because we do know that they don't get him then. Yes. Yeah. Slight detail, which, you know, in retrospect, I guess we'll have to talk about this after the finale, but I'm wondering now if the whole flash forward structure was really a good idea. Oh, I loved it, though. I loved it in the premiere. I loved it in this season. The I, half season I agree. Premiere. I agree. But it would be fun to be going into this finale with a little more uncertainty. So it's kind of a trade off. We'll talk about it next week when we have a full fuller picture. Yeah, it, it's um, definitely worth, worthy of discussion, though. Yes. Um, I feel like there were a couple other things I wasn't crazy about, but I can't remember them right now. Uh, I feel like the Walt, Walt Jr. conversation should have been a real suck, like punch to the gut, and it didn't quite land for me the way it should have. Did, did you also have that experience? No, it worked for me really well. And uh, I thought the performance from Archie Mitty was, was really good. I love the process we see Flynn go through over the course of that phone call where he's just sort of stunned and then he's getting angrier and then he just won't, he's just not taking this bullshit anymore yeah. and talks right over Walt. More people should do that. And, uh, and just hangs up on him. I loved the base, almost a quote of Marie. Why don't you just die? That was great. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I, it worked for me. And I, and again, seeing Walt, we've seen Walt stripped of everything that makes him Heisenberg over you know over the course of the episode and then to have him stripped of his voice i thought was really yeah. powerful in in that scene but okay yeah, fair if enough it didn't work for you then you know it didn't work last complaint uh i'm not crazy about uncle jack and his and his cohorts and they're just like insanely grinning mustache twirling version of evil especially compared to todd and jesse plemons i feel like he's so much more compelling to watch than they are it's mm-hmm. just kind of too bad that he's so young and so obviously not a ringleader. But uh, especially just that scene when Uncle Jack embraces him after, like, finding out just how greedy and sick and evil he really oh, is. Oh, that's not why he embraces him. He embraces him because he goes, oh, you're not doing this for the money. You got a crush on a girl. That's why he embraces him. Uh, I th- I think there's a little of both. But um, Anyway, I don't know. I, I still, th- I'm not crazy about Uncle Jack as a character and the Nazis in general. Mm-hmm. It, even the scene of them watching Jesse's video and chuckling, like it, I, it made sense for you know the situation, but I'm not sure I needed it. Well, and I was glad to see because we, you know, we're like, oh, we're not going to see Jesse's confession. I was glad to see it brought back later and then used as a comedic point. I thought if you could call that comedic, if, yeah. you, you know, but, you know, using that different way, I thought that was more interesting and I thought that was fun. But I would absolutely agree. They've they've really, unfortunately, underused Kevin Rankin because he can be great and they're giving him nothing to do. Yeah. Um, but anyway, as for the rest of the episode, which I thought was mostly very good, um, I, I'm going to say mostly very good, although, frankly, it was no fun to watch. It this wasn't was, fun. It's, this was not a fun episode of Breaking Bad. This is what possibly the most humorless episode of breaking bad ever um 
which is saying something. I mean, this is a show that knows when to lighten things up, and they decided not to do that at all this week. Even oh, though, oh we... come on, American Dream, that's hilarious. It might have been funny if anyone other than Todd had said it. No, that's uh, what made it funny for me, at least. Uh, uh, fair enough. I, I, I am incapable of finding anything Todd does funny because. <laughs> Can we talk about Jesse oh, Clemens for a minute? Lovesick Todd was hilarious. He's like. You know, he's also very, very creepy, but I thought that was that, that whole, like, he's all like, he's like, you know, checking his shirt and fixing his hair before Lydia comes in. I thought that was a great little beat of, of comedy. Obviously, he's a psychopath, but, yeah, you know, but it's still, I still think that I, I was finding humor underneath Clemens' performance. And I do agree. He's fantastic in this episode. Yeah. We already praised him last week. He's, he's like that half, like that, like little half smile oh, when, yes yes Creepy absolutely shudder. yeah he's he's too good like in in the the most the only real tense sequence of the episode when they when they enter the white house and scare the shit out of skylar i mean god damn first of all the way that was staged and shot was perfect uh mm-hmm. it was like it takes a lot to get to give me the shutters and i got them uh even though you know nothing's gonna happen but mm-hmm. still uh, yeah, and Plemons in the Bellaclava. I, I didn't know nothing was going to happen. I was, I was pretty sure. Okay, um, but the uh, yeah, Plemons in the ski mask slash Bellaclava. <laughs> oh. and it's it's just just take a minute and remember him on Friday Night Lights. Just mm-hmm. do that for a second and just he's kicking he a field a, goal. He was crucifictorious. Yeah, yeah. So long ago, even though his features haven't changed at all. Um, yeah, so he's yeah, hands down to Plemons. He's he is going places. I mean, he's already he, he already got to be in a P.T. Anderson movie, but still, and he already got him. to be on Breaking Bad. <laughs> and yeah, I know, but he's going other places. And speaking of people who got to be on Breaking Bad, Robert Forster. Yeah, pretty Love great. That guy, great casting. Ah, uh, so good. I mean, I doubt we're going to see him next week. No. Um, so yeah, very much a one and done. But I thought he was just perfect casting. He fits so nicely into that world, and he's so obviously, you know, you can totally see him as another person that Saul knows, you know, right along with Mike. And uh, where is Huel, anyway? <laughs> anyway, um, Nebraska for Saul. Yes, Nebraska for Saul, who I assume also got his last scenes this week. I don't see a reason to see him next week. I thought it was a fine exit. It was interesting that his last scenes were so muted and had basically no humor in them at all which almost never happens for Saul. But I thought Odenkirk did a great job. His, I feel like the show really came together when Saul first showed up. So it's mm-hmm. interesting that he's been there for all, except we assume the last episode. Uh, so farewell. Uh, we'll see you in the spinoff, which I, we've both said this separately, and I'm, I've seen it elsewhere as well. I really hope Better Call Saul winds up being a sequel and not a prequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like they, like they may only have said it was a prequel just so people wouldn't say, oh, then Saul definitely lives because they really don't want people to know things in advance. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they may have just been pulling everyone's leg. Yeah, could be. Um, we should talk about Gretchen and Elliot because I loved that. And what do you think the chances are? I, the the rising could still be for Lydia in her tea. It could also be intended for Gretchen and Elliot. It could. I yeah, who knows? Can you split the rice and capsule? Um, you just, you know, the, you can kill two people. Just like you know, put it in the water pitcher and pour both a glass. Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
I think it makes more sense for Lydia. They just keep pointing out the damn T. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if they're, if they're doing it just to mislead people, it would be kind of brilliant. <laughs> but, and I wouldn't put it past them. It seems like doing it for those char- for those characters is a little bit, I don't want to say random, but like we, we that's the first time we've seen or heard those characters even referenced to in what, like three seasons, four seasons? Yeah. So it's a little bit out of left field. Oh, but I think it telegraphs really well how much of this has always been dormant in him. That this just like it's something that um, I want to say Adam Scott said on Talking Bad this week, which is which was a fun episode they had Matt Jones on, and uh, as well as I want to say Brian Johnson from Comic Book Men. But he was talking about how he felt like all of this Heisenberg stuff started with Grey Matters and with you know leaving there. And we, we talked about it with Mendeleev, our chemistry expert, about how. Walt doesn't have a PhD. Why doesn't he have a PhD? He should. And if he doesn't, that leads to all sorts of different um, uh, inferiority complexes and, and uh, you know, under- misunderstood genius complexes. And that all ties back to gray matter before even all the stuff with uh, the math started up. So tying that back in here at the end, g- given where things started, I think makes complete sense. Yeah, no, I agree it makes sense. Just for them, but for those characters in particular to be so to be that central to the last episode uh and not, you know, Jesse or you know other people we spent more time with. Mm-hmm. Um anyway, uh, that would that would seem to be a little bit out of left field. But anyway, okay. I I I, okay. I agree with all I agree with all that as well. Uh so but I I really don't want to speculate about the finale. I'm just yeah. happy to sit back and watch it and enjoy it uh or hate it if it's terrible which it won't be <laughs> um uh, <laughs> wouldn't it be great if they just re-aired the dexter finale as the place? just reshot it shot for shot with yeah. the, with this cast <laughs> oh uh, my god lumberjack walt but yeah i it was a good episode not nearly as good as ozymandias i don't think anyone would dispute that uh if if the finale can reach ozymandias levels i'll be very pleased yeah, I'll be surprised because uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not hoping for that just because Ozymandias was just so good. If it does, though, that would be amazing. Very cool. Um, so I guess we'll just leave it there until next week. And uh, and also the join us in the comments section. I will get my recap. up. I think I'm going to put the post up the minute the episode ends so people can start commenting and then I'll update with my recap as as we go. But uh Yeah. It's come. It's it's you know it's all ending on the TV apocalypse this Sunday. A few show notes before we go to our season spotlight on Orange Is the New Black season one with Ryan McGee. Our intro music was created by Mr. Simon Howell. Our outro music for the time being is still Sweet Petite, and I'm I'm I'll, I'm sorry. I'll get it done, uh, so we can use the shiny outro that that Simon made. Uh, you can find a post up at soundmethod.org for this episode, and please leave comments. Let us know what you think about the various shows we've discussed and uh, and your plans for the TV apocalypse and all of that good stuff. You can also find us in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We would love any ratings or reviews you would leave for us there. Also, you can follow us on Facebook, where you can, if you like us, you can follow all the different reviews that are going down on Soundside TV. You can also email us, theteleverse at gmail.com, and we're both on Twitter. I'm at theteleverse. You are? At Sucker Howl. And Simon, what's our question of the week? Not a question, but, you know, with Breaking Bad one week away from ending, I would like everyone to share their favorite Breaking Bad gifts or images. Nice. Or Easter eggs. You know, <laughs> little bits of 
humor to let us forget this past episode and enjoy anticipating the finale. Excellent. So drop us a line on Twitter, email, Facebook, any of these various places, and share. Share the, the Breaking Bad love. Awesome. Well, now we're going to take a break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Ryan McGee to talk Orange is the New Black Season 1. My name is Piper Chapman. Time to say goodbye. I carried a suitcase of drug money once, ten years ago. Do you know about all this? She failed to mention the lesbian lover who ran an international drug smuggling ring. That's all good. You were a lesbian at the time. Smile. I wasn't ready. Tough shit. It's just like the Hamptons, only fucking horrible. You're leaving a body bag. Just getting started, bitch. Hey, go sit there. She's a nice white lady. We look out for our own. Our own? I'll take good care of you. I have a prison wife. What? Her name is Crazy Eyes. Did she rape you? No, she didn't rape me. But she held my hand. Chocolate and vanilla swirl. The animals, the animals. Trap, trap, trap till the cages fall. The cages fall. The day's new. And everyone is waiting, waiting on you. back with the televerse this is kate kalsik joined as ever by simon howell and this week we are spotlighting a bit late especially for us but still late uh, but before the end of the year here we're spotlighting season one of orange is the new black and here to help us talk about it from boob to dude not just tv mcgee talking tv with ryan ryan i forget what's the snl one ryan ryan mcgee <laughs> I'm not ready for prime time podcast not ready for prime time podcast av club just you're everywhere uh, and I don't know how you do that, especially as it's somehow not your full-time job. Uh, but welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming back. And uh, what made you want to talk about Orange is the New Black? I, in that, it's one of, it's definitely going to be in my top ten. It's almost certainly going to be in my top five. And when all susses out, I, it may be my number one. So that's why I want to talk about it. It's such a great show. This has been, and we talked about this earlier this year with, of course, your your talking TV with Ryan Ryan uh, cohort, Mo Ryan. It's been such a wonderful year for these uh, sort of small surprise shows. And and Orange is the New Black, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a small show, but of the various Netflix originals or remakes, etc., it's definitely the one that got the least buzz, the least rollout. But it's definitely the 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 best as far as I'm concerned, and it's been a wonderful surprise. For this not huge weeds fan. No, absolutely. And I think I wrote after seeing the first six episodes that were available for review before it was released on Netflix as a whole. I said, not only is it better than any other Netflix show thus far, it's not even close how much better it is. Uh, and that was before the show actually got really, really good. So it's almost <laughs> like I was underselling the show at that point somehow. So 
Yeah, I remember right when it came out, there was this discussion of, is it the best? And Simon and I on our podcast just that week just said, oh, well, yeah, definitely. Clearly, it's the best. Simon, do you still feel that way? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I wasn't. I was mildly excited about the show upon hearing the premise, then less excited when I realized he was Genji Cohen. And like, look, I think the first couple seasons of Weeds are pretty good. Uh, but there was such a massive drop off in quality. It was one of those classic shows that just went on easily twice as long as it needed to. And I was also, you know, my enthusiasm had dimmed just based on Netflix's track record. Hemlock Grove, you guys. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was like you said, Kate, it was a, brilliant surprise and uh, I think Genji Cohen is uh, is doing some really interesting work and uh, it you know quite a while ago we talked about uh, number one ladies detective agency and um, sort of how it's diff it's difficult if not impossible to consistently tell the stories of, of people of color and Cohen said something about well yeah I get away with that because I establish white protagonists and then you know I use that as sort of leverage to to tell of these sort of other stories and I think to me, what's the coolest thing about the show is how frequently it acknowledges that imbalance in a canny sort of way, sort of by undermining Piper's status as protagonist and then, you know, doing other things while also pulling the double trick of making Piper a genuinely interesting character by the end of the season. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. Yeah, for, we'll have to have a discussion at another time of the number of shows we can think of that feature interesting dynamic and Comedies, there's more, but specifically dramas or shows with significant dramatic elements that feature uh, persons of color and as many, if not most, of their main characters that don't have a white protagonist. Because right now, I'm thinking of one or maybe two. And uh, certainly the diversity, not just in ethnicity, but also in age and body type and personality uh, of Orange is the New Black is, is one of the main strengths. And just... You know, it's something we've, again, we've been talking about it all year. It's so wonderful to see a show where we don't have a male antihero as our protagonist. And and I suppose I shouldn't be talking about Orange is the New Black in terms of what it isn't. But in a, in a TV landscape that can look increasingly derivative, an original sort of idea or setting that I haven't necessarily seen before or original group of characters I don't feel like I've seen before is a treasured gem, as far as I'm concerned. The fact that it's also well-written, uh, well-produced, well well-acted, uh, well-put-together, all of that is, is just frosting. So it's, it's I, I, there, I don't think there are appropriate words for how excited I was to get to about episode four or five of Orange is the New Black. I was watching it at Comic-Con, and Simon, so, mean, you know me. I'm such a huge nerd. I was, I was in my geek nirvana, and I was, like, hiding in line with headphones, furiously watching Orange is the New Black, because... It was just such a wonderful surprise. Ryan, for you, how much of your enjoyment of the show do you think you could tie to those elements, or do you really consider it outside of just those various labels? Right. Well, part of the excitement about the show is that, you know, it, the excitement comes from the fact that this is an example of what a outlet such as Netflix can do as opposed to what other outlets such as, you know, network broadcasts, so forth and so on, can do because House of Cards and Arrested Development are two known commodities in terms of House of Cards, what it tries to achieve, you can see the antecedents, what it's trying to emulate, the prestige elements of it. You've got a mainline director. You've got some big-name stars. We understand what political intrigue kind of looks like with Arrested Development, a known quantity and a cult favorite. With Orange is the New Black, I mean, even could this show even have gotten on Showtime, even with Genji Cohan's record? 
I am not convinced that it would have done so. So that's the exciting part, to see how these new types of distribution models can lead to different types of storytelling suddenly proliferating. So that's really exciting. And I'm completely 100% with you on the the age of the male antihero. I said in a podcast a few weeks ago with, with Mo Ryan was that I think there'll be a very important date coming up in television, which is the this the series finale of Mad Men next year. And I think that officially or unofficially, that's the end of the antihero golden age of television that we're in right now. And we're already overlapping and doing going into whatever the next you know, sort of phase is. And part of that has to do with, with the omission of male antiheroes and the opportunities that arrive from the fact that if you don't start from the position of a Tony Soprano, a Walter White, a Ray Donovan, <laughs> you can tell lots of different yeah. types of stories. Uh, and that that's the exciting part. People are ready for this. It's not just the critical community. It's the viewing uh, community that just wants to see these stories. And it's great for Netflix to give people the opportunity to realize that they want these kind of stories. Because, look, people, it's hard to think about what you're not seeing at any given time. You know what you don't like, but what do you do you actually like? And Orange is the New Black is a chance for people to say, you know what? I had this one type of flavor of quote-unquote quality television, but I'm over here, and all of a sudden, you know, I guess I've been sort of, you know, just eating the same food for the last 10 years. And this over here, I don't know what it tastes like, but it's delicious, and I want more of it. And I think that's the greatest excitement I have about a show like Orange is the New Black. Eating the same food for 10 years, isn't that kind of like being in jail? Kind of like that. It's something. That's one That's one way to make it happen, certainly. Well, and when you say, Ryan, that that you don't know that this show could happen on even on Showtime with that pre-established relationship between Showtime and Jenji Cohen. I actually, I absolutely agree. One of the first discussions Simon and I had about this was actually, where do we put it for our podcast? We put it in comedy. We, we put it in drama and we started out putting it in comedy by the end of the season. I think it fits much better into drama. And I, I mean, as much as, you know, they have that pre-established relationship. So there's some trust for Cohen because she did give them uh, one of their, their really stable shows for a very long time. I don't know that she can make this show on Showtime. And when you're talking about people not knowing what they want, I've talked to many, many people who have checked out Orange is the New Black. I've heard of one who couldn't get into it, who didn't get into it within one or at max like three episodes but i've talked to dozens of people in person who are checking this show out and just instantly getting addicted so I, there's absolutely a need there and this is one of those first shows to to really and, and as much as this is netflix this is outside of the the normal distribution models this is still being way more seen than something like top of the lake which i would say fits this or even orphan black which has a similar you know eschewing of the male anti-hero. Uh, there's all these interesting shows this year with female protagonists, but this is still the one I think that is being the most widely accepted, at least by those who are checking it out. And uh, it's exciting. I completely agree. Yeah. It's also, you know, as we're talking about male anti-heroes and uh, you know, sort of other things that are being talked about, uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure when this episode is going up, but I'm also thinking about, uh, sort of viewer treatment of female characters, especially thinking back to Anna Gunn's op-ed and then, of course, Mo Ryan's piece that went along with that. Um, and it's it's funny because if you think about it, the character who occupies the, uh, the the thankless wife role in the show is Jason Biggs, which uh, <laughs> which I think is is also like quietly revolutionary in its own way. And I think um, you know I've I've read a lot of people talking about the show and 
the one character everyone is united in hate of, if they're united in hate on anyone, is the Jason Biggs character, which, again, where else are you going to see that? Well, I, I, I'm, let's, start, let's use this as a way to get into the characters, because I don't, I don't get that. Um, yes, there are elements of that character that are obnoxious, and I, I think intentionally so, but I, I still think it's an interesting character, and I think there's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of viewers who are bringing baggage with them about Jason Biggs that I, I mean, it may be because I haven't seen American pie. I have no interest in seeing any of the American pie films. Maybe that's, you know, given me an easier in with that character. Cause I don't have that extra baggage, but I think he's doing a really good job with an interesting character. And, you know, and when you're going to compare at least season one, somebody like Skylar and, or somebody like Betty and in on Mad Men and, you know, this character here, I think he's actually has a lot more to do and is a much more fleshed out character. You can hate people for the right reasons when it comes to fictional characters. So I think that's fine if you, especially at the end of the 11th episode, uh, when he goes and does the interview on NPR and you want to, you want to rip your skin off because you just want to make it stop. It's the most horrifying thing. And this is in a, in a, in a calendar year in which we had Hannibal. You know, it was really had some, some of the more visually horrifying things in your life. But I've never wanted to, like, I had my hands in front of me, my toes in front of my hands, and I was calling up neighbors so they could put, you know, appendages in front of me to put me between me and the television. At the same point, it's a brilliant sort of meta commentary on what the show itself is about, which it gradually reveals itself, as you were pointing out, Simon, is that it steers away. It's almost like Piper's a gateway drug into this story. And, oh, by the way, it's actually about all these other people in which Piper is one part of a larger ecosystem. And getting to know these people throughout the course of the thing, the way that they, they start off as one particular type of quality and we learn more about them is part of the point of this entire season. And you were, as we're talking about the Mo Ryan article, I don't know if you guys have mentioned this on the podcast before, uh, Sophia McDougall's article on the New Statesman called I Hate Strong Female Characters. <laughs> which is a pro provocative title, but the point of the, what she's trying to say in this article is that that is usually the assignation of like, oh, we've got these complex male anti-heroes, but don't worry, we've got strong female characters too. And she's like, why do they have to just be strong? Why can't they be abrasive, neurotic, vain, untidy, fastidious, bohemian, artistic, curious? When you call somebody a strong female character, you're actually doing them a disservice, according to McDougall. It's a very provocative point because if you had a male character who had only one character trait, you would say that's a flaw. And yet, you know, and to Orange is the New Black, if Crazy Eyes was indeed only crazy, that's not an interesting character. But that's how Piper sees her in the first few episodes. Thus, that's how we see her. And when the show reveals that, and when she asks her, why do they call me Crazy Eyes? You just use all the Kleenex in the house. <laughs> that's what yeah, the beauty of this absolutely. show does. It's really, it's really, it's really fantastic. I have my own issues with the the that article. I, I think it's, it brings up a, a very good point. I think a lot of that might come down to the laziness of of us at times if, as critics of just saying strong female sure. characters. Yeah. Because somebody like Starbuck, for example, is described as she's a, such a strong character. She's a million things, and strong is one of them. And so maybe that's also some some women are on television are written as strong as if that's the only thing they need to be. But I think there's a lot of them that are described that way that maybe we need to be more thoughtful in how we describe them, because the performers and the writers are doing a lot more 
Um, that being said, it's an excellent point, and uh, again, a discussion for another. So many interesting things to talk about with orange juice and black. You're saying a lot of people used strong as a shorthand for complex, almost, even though it's, yeah. it's only one syllable less. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, because I'm, 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 I'm totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, and because you know, as especially for myself as a genre fan, finding well-written women in genre programming, if you go back a certain amount of time is very, very difficult. And, uh, and and so it, at a certain point, it was sort of like, oh, gosh, golly gee, they actually spent some time on the women, too. And so I feel like we're still kind of, and I think this is what the, she was referring to in her, in her article, I, we're still sort of in a state of surprise about that, and we should have moved on, you know, to, to really examining these characters. And, and w when you talk about Crazy Eyes as an example here, I think that's, because I saw all the tweets going out as everybody kind of caught up at their own pace on Orange is the New Black, it, talking about, uh, oh, I, I can't wait for the Crazy Eyes flashback. And I was like an episode like three or four at that point going, oh, no, I like Crazy Eyes just being Crazy Eyes. I don't need to know anything else because it's fascinating to just have this mystery. And then we find out she's Suzanne and then we meet her parents and it's like, okay, I see what you guys are saying. I want the Crazy Eyes flashback too. Are there any other characters besides Crazy Eyes that you guys would like to see, or you know, your thoughts on that character? You would really like to see fleshed out that we didn't get this season. Well, I, I do think, and, and first of all, I, I was—if you hadn't—I was about to—I was about to interject with, shouldn't we be calling her Suzanne? Yeah. But um, yes. Yeah. I would say the one character we got some fleshing out, but she's the only one who still feels a little bit one-dimensional. Would be Pensatucky. Uh, like, I, I think Taryn Manning is a blast on the show, and clearly the climactic scene of the, or I'd say the final scene of the season is incredibly memorable. But she does feel a little bit like we need an antagonist who works, Pensatucky works. And she does, but she she does feel a little bit overly, vil like, oh, too directly villainous for life at times, uh, which is funny when you're thinking of some of, you know, the uh, vice warden. Um, <laughs> And some of the other male characters, but still, I, I would have liked a little bit more shading with her. Yeah, I do wonder how much they're going to use that device in the second season, even when we got to the end of the first one, like when we got to Yoga Jones's backstory, uh, she just told it. And there was an, an amazing performance there by Constance Shulman about sort of telling the story about how she accidentally shot and killed a child thinking it was a deer eating her crops. Um the, those flashbacks, like they were on Lost, and I'm sure you guys have mentioned this before, is a really great way to sort of sh not shorthand uh, backstory, but it's, it's easier to see rather than tell. And at this point, we know a lot of these people well enough that we can just see them behave in this particular ecosystem. And I wouldn't, I, I would be fine if we spent all our time in the prison. It was a great way to get us out of that of of, of that that scene and to get some backstory for season one. But as the show goes on. I'm not sure I need that to continue. That being said, I'm sure it's probably baked into the, the narrative DNA of it right now. And so if it's there, it's great, but I'm not sure it's completely necessary going forward at this point. I was surprised we didn't get a Lorna episode. Yeah, I would like to know a little bit more about that. It, that's one of those, because there are certain characters where I don't feel like I need to know more about the backstory. And that's actually one of the strengths, I think, of the various how they got where they are. Uh, scenarios that that the writers sort of dreamed up for these people that some of them are just they made a stupid mistake one day and it ruined their entire life like the track star for example but with Lorna I she's really interesting to me and I would I would like to meet that uh that man on top of the stick figure <laughs> in the in the poster you know or at least get some sense of 
of that relationship that she is clinging so desperately to. Yeah, the problem with her, though, is that she's from Boston, and that's just going to be a Goodwill hunting flashback, you know, <laughs> all the bad Boston accents. And since I, I I live in the Boston area and work in downtown Boston, I, I hear enough of that during the day, and so <laughs> maybe 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 not in this particular case. We could we could skip it for now. Fair enough. But that I to go back to those those backstories, I do really appreciate the 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 variety with them, and that our preconceptions maybe of these people based on our interactions with them within the the prison don't necessarily correlate i you know seeing red as meek beforehand is was interesting to me and i enjoyed watching that progression and part of that's because kate mulgrew was being fantastic all season and uh and, and then like i said the track stars just being she didn't run once she made one bad call and that that was enough to to you know end it for her i don't know it just as piper becomes more aware over the course of the season, and it's a wonderful progression to watch that she is not different than these people. She is not better than these people. Uh, and maybe she wouldn't have made the mistakes that they did, but they didn't make the mistakes that she did. I, I like that the viewer becomes more and more aware of that, hopefully. At least I think that's the intent. When we talk about progression, I think one of the things that's handled really well in flashback is our shifting perception of uh, Laura Preppen's character, who is very clearly posited as the antagonist of the first, I don't know, four or five episodes before we realize that, you know, the, the, the show toys with what we think are supposed to be our, our sympathies in a really interesting way. And by the end, it's, it's, I mean, at least for me, I found it difficult not to root for Preppin more than I was rooting for Piper. Oh, a hundred percent. Definitely, right? Yeah. Is that just me? <laughs> no, and, and, and unfortunately, it seems like she's not going to be around too much longer if the, if the press reports are <sighs> any indication of that. So I was mega disappointed when I heard that. I was I was more disappointed about that than I was happy to find out. Spoiler alert, I guess that Pensatucky uh, wasn't killed <laughs> in the finale. Like I had assumed that she had been, and that she was going to be back next year. I'm really going to miss that character. No, it's true. And in terms of this, I mean, are we sad because we like Laura Prepon in, in the in the role and we want to see more of her, or is it because we, we're afraid that the show will be imbalanced without her in the picture? Because I think those are two very different and equally valid concerns. I have opinions on both, and I, I'm curious what you guys think about that. For me, it's mostly the first of those two, though, because I guess I trust Cohen and company to come up with another solution to fill that void. Because they've, they've earned my trust over this first season. It's definitely the former. It's not just what you just said, Kate, but also the fact that there are lots of other characters. You know, there's so many things that writer's room can do with all these characters in terms of playing with dynamics and sort of filling that void, like you say, and finding new things to do. It may even end up being a good thing. I just think it's too bad that, you know, I don't think Preppin's going to get another role this good in the near future. Well, and also... Yes, yeah. It is a little, uh, yeah... It is a little encouraging to know that they can't do the will they won't they on and off again thing with with them now because she's going to be off the show. So, you know, to take that, remove that fear is actually a nice side benefit. But I was looking forward to uh, the budding relationship with Natasha Leon's character and Preppin because, of course, they, they really tease that out. And that's the couple that you start rooting for, you know, by episode, what, 10 or so. And then they they get together to some extent in the finale. And I was sort of looking forward to having a, a shipping component, I guess, to, to, to the second season, but not so much. 
you know, one of the things I really like, we talked about before about the male antiheroes and how that's something that can, you know, go away sooner rather than later, and I'd be fine with that. One of the other things that Orange is the New Black excels in is, is the type, and I'm trying to think about shows that I like over the last sort of couple of years. What do, what do I get out of drama? What are the things that I like? What do I don't like? And I like shows with serialization, but I tend not to be as excited about shows that go for the five-year story because there's just so many things that can go wrong, whether it be a really bad idea that you now have to do for five years <laughs> or in the case of Lost, say, actors suddenly don't want to be on the show anymore. And you have to write around that or kids get older or things like that. And to me, you know, maybe I'm wrong here, like Orange is the New Black isn't the Piper story. Like she's one aspect of it. If you excise that out at this point, you know, the prison is still there. The ecosystem is still there. An infinite amount of people can go through that prison and Orange is the New Black will never, ever run out of story. But you still have the serialization, which is you've got the history of the characters, You've got things that are carried through in terms of their interactions, and you can have continuity there while you can keep starting and stopping stories as they naturally progress. And it's a very exciting way to, I imagine, write television. It's also an exciting way to watch television where you're watching these mini arcs. People can kind of come and go. If they decide three episodes in the next year that the Piper story is over, as you point out, Simon, there's a dozen other stories in there right now that I'm very interested in, whether it be red stuff, whether it be the porn stash stuff, whether it be, you know, what happens to Susan Fisher, that rookie correctional officer? I mean, does she get uh, jaded by working there? There's tons of places they can go because the show's about that correctional facility and the, the ways that people change once they're in it, both because they're incarcerated or because they're working there. That's an infinitely renewable resource that the show has tapped into and can continue to exploit as long as they do that intelligently and compassionately this show can go on forever it very well could ex except that of course the prison industrial complex won't last forever right right <laughs> ba -dum, ba -dum, ba -dum, ba -dum. and another element uh ryan of what you're talking about is that when i think of those series long journey like investigations into one character usually the male anti-hero they tend to fall into one of two categories uh, the, the interesting ones, for, to me at least, either the stakes and the events just keep escalating and becoming crazier and crazier, and a show like Breaking Bad pulls that off wonderfully, or after a while we know the character and they start repeating themselves, and we, we watch seasons of Don Draper making the same mistake, or seasons of Tony Soprano pretty much being Tony Soprano, and really good writing and really good performances can keep you interested in that, but after a while, it's... You, don't, you know, they have to really work to make you not just feel like you're seeing the same story over and over again because we know the character and there's nothing new. And and so by focusing on everyone and not just Piper, you know, by the end of the season, I feel like we know Piper. I don't feel like there's a lot. I mean, of course, I look forward to being surprised in season two, but I, I feel like we have a really good handle on her. And uh, I look forward to the fallout from that climactic final shot. But I'm way more interested in everybody else and discovering them in the way that I discovered Piper over the course of that time period of that first season. Yeah, I want to know about Daya. I'm interested in Daya right now. I want to follow. I want to follow up on her story right now. I want to go see, follow her for a while. There's, there's a dozen people that could I could follow in the show and be very happy following that. And I think again, Piper is a way to introduce people to the show, and if it tricked them into <laughs> falling in love with all these other different types of characters, and again. 
there are plenty of people who only get two or three lines, and we understand their place in the prison, but we really don't know much about their characters yet. So there's all these types of places. It's sort of like Under the Dome that way, you know, <laughs> except it's awesome. Like you've got a finite number of people within there. You, I get the sense, at least in uh, Orange is the New Black, that they're, I can get the sense of their lives when they're off screen. I get just from the little things I see them, whether they're dancing at a party or sort of a giggle session or whether they're doing the whole the whack council and they have all the sort of groups that get together and try to, you know, organize themselves by race and just sort of have their own sort of interactions and ecosystems within ecosystems. It's, it's all there. It's all three-dimensional. And unlike a lot of the shows here, like, yes, there, there are important stakes here, but they don't involve uh, an apocalypse. They don't involve the constant threat of murder. They don't involve, like, you know, there are these small moments that are just as dramatic if handled correctly but too few shows understand that there is drama to be mined beyond the emergency room, the courthouse, and a shootout in the back alley. Um, they just they, they don't quite get that because it's a harder nut to crack, and it also requires a more subtle approach, and also an audience that isn't that's willing to sort of invest in a show and, and, and engage with it rather than sort of you know have it be the thing that catches their attention while they're folding laundry at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday. So, Oh, Ryan, but couples aren't interesting once they get together. Moonlighting proved that. That, that is true. <laughs> and, and, and it's very possible that, um, you know, Piper and Alice could be the Ross and Rachel of Orange is the New Black. <laughs> now, I have a somewhat controversial opinion here, and I'm still kind of toying with this, but I'm curious what you guys think. I don't think John Bennett is a good guy. I, that's my current working theory. The, the the prison guard who's in the relationship with Daya. What do we know about him that makes us think that he's a good guy besides the fact that the actor, Matt McGorry, is adorable and, and very charismatic? Uh, but why do we like him? Because if you look at what he's done, what what do we have to like about him other than the fact that, you know, he, he they both had batted their eyes at each other? Do, should we really like this guy? Well, I think it's clear that he's not malicious, unlike porn stash. Uh, oh, yes, and, he's and... not smuggling drugs and, and extorting uh, sexual favors out of people. No, no, not, not, <laughs> not just that, but his, you know, we, can, we take it at, as granted that his feelings about Daya are, are genuine. Whether or not he should have them or should have acted on them is entirely another story, I suppose, but he certainly doesn't evince the kind of, you know, he, he, he's not actively odious in his personality. I mean, yeah, he, you know, he behaves in, in a manner un, unbecoming, but calling him a bad person is a little strong. Well, but do we know that he has that strong of an emotional connection to her? As soon as she's pregnant, I feel like he withdraws. I don't feel like that is a true love sort of conquering all kind of couple. It feels much more nuanced than that. Whereas she seems like she's smitten and very uh, completely committed to him. I don't get that from him. Well, two things of that one die has been shown, especially in her flashbacks that she latches onto anyone that shows her any kind of attention whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of got the puppy dog eyes for that. But also with Bennett, like we had this story all along. And I'm a bit unclear on this. So I could be getting this wrong. I can't remember if he told people that he got his his leg injury in the war, or people just assumed. Yeah, they assumed because he's a veteran. I think they just assumed. Okay, so he never said, and then recanted later. He he said he's a veteran, and then she found out about the leg, and so everyone just assumes, and 
you know, it's a convenient thing to let them assume when the truth is you had a cut and went into a jacuzzi. Which is nice in a way because both of them have flaws that are understandable, but neither gets off scot-free. Like there isn't something that's from deus ex machina. Where we, we clearly have the person who is in the wrong in this case, and this is where our sympathies mm-hmm. should lie. I mean, season two could be, you know, Ben is the new porn stash. I mean, he could gradually turn into, you know, what, you know, the, the, the disgruntled uh, opportunistic man that porn stash isn't on the outside, whereas porn stash regresses and now he actually has feelings for Daya because someone's actually paying attention to him for once in the way that the, 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 the characters can grow and ebb and show. I mean, the, the fact that Red is reduced to absolutely nothing. By the end of the season, doesn't mean she's going to stay there for very long. But things are mutable, things are changeable inside of here. And, and any given week, uh, the, the the stakes can change, and they don't have to change on a a global epic scale. And I love me some Battlestar Galactica, but you don't need a big Viper fight, you know, in order to sell some drama. Now, where do you? I want to pin you down on 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 this, Ryan. Where do you fall on Bennett and that that relationship? And also, where do you fall? We didn't get your thoughts on. Preppin's leaving if you're more concerned about the first notion oh. or, or the second. I like her, and I think the show will be fine without her, because so, I don't think it's Piper's story. And that's the sort of thing I was trying to get across there, where, you know, something on Lost, there's, there's a certain key character that's going to be a big part of the end game of the show, and that actor has to leave in the in the beginning of season three. And mm-hmm. I'm, I can't believe I'm not spoiling Lost, but at this point, I'm just I'm so petrified <laughs> of someone coming at, coming at me at this point. I could, you know, I'm going to spoil Mashing a little bit just for funsies, but um, <laughs> once you invest in that type ends. of thing, yeah, there's so many things that can go wrong that you're just the fact that a show like Breaking Bad can do it. That's the such the exception rather than a rule. Even Mad Men is a show that really doesn't depend on a specific uh, end point, and I'm sure Matt Weiner has it in mind. But it's not that person X has to achieve Y that was set out in the pilot. It can end in a couple dozen ways. And it will feel of a piece because that show is just about moving forward. It's about the journey. It's not about the about the destination. So if Prepon leaves, if anything else, it, it removes that crutch. And I think that's where you're getting to earlier, Simon, uh, in terms of that. But I'm looking forward to the Bennett. I mean, I just don't see how the Bennett diet thing is going to end well. But I think you're right in terms of how are his true colors going to show. At the end of the day, is he going to, like, lose his job? Because it's not even just about his job. The show has made it very clear that he can be arrested for this and putting him in that corner is probably going to make him do something incredibly ugly. And will the system naturally believe him over Daya? Probably, but it's not going to make it any less heartbreaking when that scenario plays out. Definitely. Well, we are running, uh, we're already actually over time. Uh, so before we, we wrap up here um, and before we get to final thoughts, I want to hear favorite um, comedic moment, favorite dramatic ro- moment, favorite flashback. It, in terms of dramatic moments, it's hard to beat. Uh, I mean, obviously the uh, radio sequence. It's really about. It, it comes down to be the radio sequence versus Yoga Jones telling her backstory. Those are really your only two options, I think, for dramatic moment. Uh, and they're so good that I'm having trouble remembering the comedic moments. <laughs> okay, Ryan. All right. I will say, just because you picked uh, the radio one, I'll ask about Suzanne asking Piper why they call her crazy eyes. Um, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous moment. Um, comedic moment, probably the, the line about, I just want to eat the chicken and absorb its strength <laughs> that Red has in episode five. That, that I, I quoted that for like weeks after watching that episode. And no one had watched the episode, so everyone looked at me like I was absolutely nuts. Um, 
favorite flashback. I like, um, we haven't talked about Miss Claudette. I liked those, the way that she turned into the mm-hmm. thing that she initially hated and, and all the stuff that involving her trying to get out. And when she didn't get out, punching the security guard and essentially, you know, condemning herself to life in prison. I mean, all that together, just a beautiful amount, just a beautiful uh, series of, of events. I came up with an answer for comedic moment, which not really a moment, but everything to do with sort of the character pivot with porn stash uh, near the end of the season. Not, I guess it's not really a character pivot, but just showing us a different side of him. I think Pablo Schreiber, who, by the way, it's amazing how the mustache transforms his face. Um, the, uh, just the way we, you know, behind this brash exterior, he's really just kind of an emotional idiot. And I, I really appreciated that. And it was also hilarious. Flashback? Flashback. Uh, at, at risk of setting unoriginal, I, I do think that Miss Claudette stuff was probably the most interesting. Okay. For dramatic moment, I'm going to give it to everything with Piper in solitary. So The other moments mentioned were all fantastic oh, right. as well. Oh, right. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. That, that sequence was, you know, especially by the end when she's having that, that breakdown of what have I done, and she starts to really lose it, and you get a sense of, you know, especially when she thinks of what she – has and later when she's thinking what she condemned Pennsylvania to and she has something to draw on that's at least similar in some way uh being taken out of what seems like a crappy situation but actually you think you know she thinks like oh she'll get taken care of and it'll be fine and then you know we find out that really it's not and i think i think that whole arc with with piper is really interesting so that one and then for comedic i the chicken i want i i got so invested <laughs> in the chicken ridiculously like at the end of the episode it's like get it you get right it's right it's you know when you start yelling at your tv you know the show's done something right <laughs> and yeah. for a flashback i'm gonna give it to natasha leone and and maybe that's me knowing that that is drawn from her own personal experience and that you know that there's there's a lot of truth in you know that that's what she, the actress went through and maybe that's helping color it a little bit but that just god punched me uh, in a really, really big way. And the last thing, I guess, final thoughts. Normally, I, I end my, my final thought being something positive about the music. Um, I got two negative musical things. Uh, in the finale, I'm sorry, but the person randomly starts singing Amazing Grace, and it's beautiful, and nobody knew the person could sing, and it's just so heartfelt and honest that everybody, you know, no. That's not, it just, that... <laughs> I was not a fan of that. Regardless of the vocal abilities uh, of, of that actress, I thought she sounded really good, but it's just such a cliched and done thing. And actually, I was watching a show the other day. I don't even remember which one. And they did exactly that. And I was like, yep, seen it before, done it before. These are the kind of missteps that uh, I, I know it worked for other people in a big way, but for me, it no. And then also the theme song. Please, can we get a different theme song? For next season, um, but those two complaints aside, absolutely love the season. It's like you said, Ryan. It's for me. It's definitely in my top ten. It's going to be a hard top ten this year, but this one's definitely making the cut. Do you have any final thoughts, Ryan, and also Simon? No final thoughts from me, other than I probably want to go watch it again right now. Yeah, <laughs> this I have every time you come on. We all leave and finish recording, and then go watch the show again because it's so good. Uh, I'll second the motion about the theme song, even though it seems to be almost universally beloved. Uh, somebody, oh. I was recently discussing Regina Spector on Twitter with someone, and I referred to her voice as uh, inhuman, godless warble, and I'm going to stick to that. Well, but it's less about the song for me, though. There is one note that's sharp and 
when you're mar- I think it's what because I was marathoning it, so you hear that same song and like you know because it, it's so long, and then the the editing of it too with the visuals, it just feels like it's pounding me over the head with their people. Darn it! I'm like I know because I'm watching the show and you did such a good job. Uh, anyway, sorry, I'm monologuing now, and that's clearly a signal that it's time to end the podcast. Uh, Ryan, where are the uh, what any of the myriad places our our listeners can find you online? All right, you can find my writing at booptubedude.com, the AV Club, and HitFix, as well as Zap to it. And you can find my three podcasts: Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan, the Not Ready for Primetime podcast, and Not Just TV McGee. And believe it or not, I do sleep. <laughs> And, uh, of course, you're also on Twitter at TV McGee. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming back on, Ryan. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Television.